Good to see all of you here this morning as we come to this hour of worship. Especially good to glance out and see the Spearmans back with us after an extended illness uh, break. Both of them been in the hospital. Good to see you folks and others of you as well. Always good to, to know that we're well enough to be together in church. Um, glad you're here. If you're visiting with us, we hope that you'll come back on many, many future occasions to worship with us because you, uh, you honor us by choosing to be with us today. And we hope that we uh, earn from you a return visit. You're welcome to come and take part in other events of our church. We have a 9 o'clock contemporary service and a, a 10 o'clock Sunday school for all ages. And then we're here um, every week uh, except for a few rare occasions. Um, at 11 o'clock on, uh, on Sunday, so we hope that you will be here. There's some important announcements uh, in your bulletin. One is regarding today's uh, activities. We've got a wonderful afternoon ahead of us. At 5 o'clock, we will be coming together for a trunk or treat that has become a, an annual uh, joyful occasion. Y'all really go all out decorating your, your car trunks, which I think is fantastic. Yeah, please make sure that, that uh, uh, folks know, that Ralph especially knows that trunks does not mean swimwear. I sure would hate for him to come with decorated trunk. And it... <laughs> I'm glad you said that. I was going to have a big lunch, but I just lost my appetite. Mm. I see that we give somebody a best junk in, uh, best junk in the trunk award. I hope that won't be Ralph. But anyway, uh, <clears throat> that is, starts at 5 o'clock this afternoon, uh, and that is with a hot dog supper that, that is free, uh, given to you by the young people. Our youth have been so well supported by you in past years as you have helped them raise money to go on their mission trips. They want to do something back for you. So the hot dog supper is their treat to you uh, this afternoon. Um, then, of course, we'll be having some other things in the uh, gym. There's some games and, and activities in the Family Life Center after that, as well as the trunk or treat. So hope to see you here today um, at uh, 5 o'clock and after. There will be no usual activities for children or youth tonight. Um, the children have been having choir practice and a program, but that is suspended for tonight so that we can do trunk or treat. You will also notice the uh, trip to Biltmore being planned. Uh, if you're interested in that, please be in touch with Lee in the days to come and also call attention to you about the United Methodist Men winter coat drive, uh, children's coats, women's coats, men's coats that are gently used. We'll be glad to collect and give to the needy. More things there. I hope that you will uh, hope you will read as you have the time to do so. Let us now begin together our time in worship.
Let us affirm our faith in God using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and stood at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From this he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, be seated, please. This time we invite the children to come forward to join Marnie Dumas for a few moments of sharing. <laughs> Tell me what this picture of this is. Who's in? I got it. I'll just keep talking. There we go. <laughs> there we go. Do you know what this is a picture of? You don't have to know who, just what is it a picture of? A baby, right? This is actually a baby picture of my husband Lee. This is him when he is a baby, right? Okay, so this is a picture of a baby. Now, when you're a baby, can you talk like we're talking right now? No. How do babies tell us what they want? What do they do? What did you do when you were a baby? Do you remember? I don't either. So what do, have you ever been around a baby? What do they do when they're hungry? Okay. They cry, right? Is it loud sometimes? Yeah, right, they're telling us, get over here and give me a bottle right now, okay? So they definitely are telling us through crying, and they let us know. They can't really tell us exactly what they want, but something is wrong. Either they're hungry, or maybe their diaper needs to be changed, or, you know, I know. So, but the, all that kind of stuff. So they're letting us know through, through crying. Now, as we get older, we start to talk, right? So we're going to read in a story, uh, we're going to read a story out of the Bible about a man that speaks up. And he tells God what he needs, tells Jesus what he needs. So let's listen. Jesus and his disciples, now do you know who the disciples were? You don't have to know their names, but who were they? What, who? Yeah, they were Jesus' friends, right? They were the people Jesus hung out with. Okay, so Jesus and his disciples, so Jesus and his friends had spent some time in the city of Jericho. And as they were leaving the town, a blind man by the name of Bartimaeus, I hope that's correct, was sitting beside the road. When he heard the people saying that Jesus was approaching, he began to cry out. And he said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Because what was wrong with him? What do we say was wrong with this man? He was blind, right? So he couldn't see. So he's crying out, and his crying out kind of made other people mad. They were disturbed. They were upset. They didn't want him to be crying out. And they told him to be quiet, right? Be quiet. But what do you think he did? What do you think that blind man did? He kept crying, and he cried louder. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And when Jesus heard Bartimaeus crying out, he stopped and said, Tell him to come to me. So Jesus told Bartimaeus to come over to him. And he said, uh, so they called the blind man, and they said, Cheer up, come on, Jesus is calling you to go with him, to come to him. Bartimaeus jumped up, threw aside his coat, and went to Jesus. 
So he was excited, right? He knew his crying out had gotten him to see Jesus. And Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus said, I want to see. Jesus said, go, your faith has healed you. And instantly Bartimaeus could see and he followed Jesus down the road. Now, can you imagine this little baby crying out and his mom not doing anything? Don't you think his mom probably did stuff for him and got his bottle and changed his diaper and did all that whenever he cried? Well, even now, he still cries sometimes, and I have to get his bottle and change it. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, no, he still cries out about stuff, though. And we all cry out about stuff. And what this story is telling us is that Jesus is going to listen to that. Okay? God loves his children. He loves us. We're his children. And he loves us, and he wants the best for us. The Bible tell us, tells us, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Okay, so don't worry about it, pray about it. So you tell God what you need, and you thank him for all that he has done for us. So let's do that now. You want to pray together? You don't have to say anything. Just bow your heads and listen to me. You ready? Heavenly Father, we know that you love us so much and that you want the best for us. Help us to remember that we don't need to worry about anything. All we need to do is speak up and ask it in your son's name. Amen. reading from the Old Testament this morning is from Genesis chapter 6, verses 11 through 22. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on the earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it, and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you're to build it. The ark is to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Make a roof for it and a finish, and finish the ark to within 18 inches of the top. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you and be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Here ends the lesson. Our responsive reading is Psalm 19 on page 750 and 751 in your hymnal. Stand if you are able and let us share this passage together. <clears throat> the heavens are telling the glory of God and the firmament proclaims God's handiwork. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Yet their voice comes out from all the earth, and their words are in the world. In them God has set a tent for the sun, 
which comes forth like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and runs its course with joy like a strong man. Its The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Also keep your servant from the insolent, let them not have dominion over me. The epistle lesson is Romans 3, verses 20 through 24. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. But now a righteousness from God apart from law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in, in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Here ends the lesson. Oh 
Let us join our hearts together in prayer. Lord, on this Reformation Sunday, we celebrate the good news that got lost, or at least misplaced, which you directed Martin Luther to find and restore. And we're thankful for those who came after him, John Calvin, John Wesley, and others, who continued the process of helping the church rediscover the glorious and wonderful good news that you have done that which we could not do. You have saved us when we could not save ourselves. We are grateful to be a part of that heritage, and yet we confess that it's so foreign to our natural way of thinking that periodically we need to have our minds renewed by the good news so that we might understand in a new way how wonderful this gospel is. We're also conscious this day, this month, wearing pink shoes as they play. And today, many of us are wearing pink as a reminder of the fight that we are all in against cancer, especially the cancer that affects women. We are grateful, Lord, that you have been a part of this struggle. We are grateful that when we humans have suffered in the past with illnesses like smallpox and polio, by your grace and goodness you have sent the healing to our world. And we seek that again, that you might send to us that which would heal those we love from breast cancer. We're also conscious, Lord, of this strange flu that is in our midst that is taking loved ones away from us. Lord, we again ask that you would send us your help from above and that you would heal us as you always do. Lord, we are thankful as, as we look out and as we look back also on our own lives to remember the number of times that we've been sick and yet here we are, able to be in your house of worship, back in good health. How wonderfully you have made us. How wonderful it is that you heal us. Help us, Lord, to go into our world with the wonderful good news that there is a God who is on our side, who comes to our aid, who helps us in all of our weak moments, who gives us his strength and his courage. We pray these prayers in the name of Jesus, who taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let us now, continuing, let us now continue our worship as we uh, give our morning offering.
Well, Lee came in and sat down and cried, and Marnie had to leave. But she's back. Okay. Last time I know that Lee cried was the same place I cried. We both, we're in an elite club of people who have broken a bone or had some serious injury out in your family life center. He had to have surgery. I just got a boot I had to wear for a while. So you guys that play basketball and gals, be careful. Here now um, our gospel reading from Mark chapter 2, verses 18 through 22. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, How can the guest of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunken, unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into an old wineskin. If he does, the wine will burst the skins and both the wine and the wine skins will be ruined. No, he pours new wine into new wine skins. Here ends the lesson. In 1989, our daughter came home from kindergarten, put my old typewriter on the floor in front of our television set, and said, Daddy, make this computer work. Well, I knew right then that if kindergartners were learning how to use a computer at school, then resistance on my part was futile. I knew that I'd better learn all I could about computers or else I would become a dinosaur. Over the years since then, computers have sort of become my hobby. I was lucky in several of my appointments to have uh, guys that work with computers in everyday life to be my teachers and to show me how to take a computer apart and put it back together. And I've done so successfully for the most part a number of times. I've worked on several computers of you Memorial Church members and I'm really not sure whether George Strait, John Rush, or Andy Watson would win the prize for a person who can best mess up a computer, but they're in the running, I assure you. About 75% of the time I can fix the problem, but there are always a few times that are just beyond repair. Sometimes if the, problem, uh, the problem is so simple that all you have to do is something called a reboot which is basically turning the thing off and turning it back on. And I've gone to someone's house and done that and they've just thought I was a miracle worker when all I did was turn the thing off and back on. But there are some other times when the operating system gets so messed up that there's nothing to do except to totally erase the hard drive, reformat it, and to start all over, reinstalling all the programs. I guess this is somewhat similar to a, a golfer's mulligan, you know, a do-over, an all-new beginning. Jesus spoke about how important it was and that uh, vineyard owners knew that it was a foolish thing to try to just keep reusing old wineskins. There are times when you have to start all over with something new. The old won't work. You can't repair an old system. You just have to start over. And Jesus told Nicodemus, as we heard last week in the scripture lesson, that he needed to be born again. It was as if everything he had experienced and learned to that date needed to be just done away with, and he needed a do-over, a fresh start a change in the way he thought in order to be able to comprehend God. This was also true in 1517 A.D. when the Christian church had gotten so far away from the truth of the gospel 
that it had gotten beyond, beyond minor repairs. Traditions had piled up so high that the truth now lay buried underneath all those mountains of traditions and eras. Martin Luther really didn't know what was going to happen when he asked 95 questions of the church. But what resulted was nothing less than a reformation, a reformatting of the church. The old pattern was done away with, and there was a serious attempt to go back to the earliest church and to recover the practices and beliefs of the early church. The Protestant Reformation is a process that continues even to this day, affecting person after person among us and church after church. As God breaks into our lives to tell us that our thoughts have not been in accord with his way of thinking and that we just need to start all over and think differently. And so the question I want to leave you with today is, has your brain been reformatted? Have you personally experienced the Protestant Reformation? The Reformation began when one young man became dissatisfied with his personal faith. Luther was raised in an era that was clouded with pre-Renaissance images, pictures, paintings, everything, of God being a fiery, angry judge who was ready at any and every moment to cast anyone into perdition. There was a general fear, a feeling of fear that gripped everyone, and the source of that fear was the church. The church used fear to control every aspect of people's lives. Driven by this fear, Martin Luther rigorously practiced his faith relying on the promise that the sacraments would convey merits to his heavenly account that he knew was in serious trouble, but that offered him no assurance of pardon and forgiveness. The fear in Luther seemed to reach its highest point on the day that he was struck by lightning. Yeah, that would pretty well do it to me too, wouldn't it you? Speaking of computers and lightning, when, when we lived in Rock Hill, there was a lightning storm that came through one morning right when we were taking the children to school. And it hit right in our neighborhood and it destroyed all the pumps. We were all on well water, knocked out all the wells. And it also destroyed my computer. Well, now on my computer was every sermon I had ever written and preached. One of the dear church members there, my buddy Paul Rutherford said, well, Arthur, you can forget what we think about your sermons. You've heard from the Almighty. <laughs> Lightning caused Martin Luther to reconsider his life. Believing that a holy God and an equally holy Christ was too far removed from him to care about him, he called out instead to St. Anne to save him promising St. Anne that if he lived through that lightning strike, he would become a monk. But his life as a monk, even with all the self-denial, gave him very little comfort. After all, he was only doing the things that he was supposed to do, and there was no extra merit in that. But maybe there was help to be, for him to be found in the saints, Saints were those people that were supposed to have lived such a wonderful life that they had earned more than enough credits to get into heaven. And so their credits could be transferred to your heavenly account if you did certain things. Luther visited sacred shrines and he reverenced relics, but that offered him no assurance that he was getting from the saints that which he needed. He did have hope, though, that the Pope would grant him a pardon, or perhaps he could buy one. There was a practice in those days of buying pardons, indulgences they were called. Well, the church didn't actually sell them, but if you donated enough money to the church, mysteriously, soon after that, 
a messenger arrived at your house with a document from the Pope granting you an indulgence. Sort of reminds me of what a ticket scalper said to the policeman who caught him that day. I didn't sell that man the ticket. I'm out of work, and he gave me $400 to buy food. He was so nice that I felt like I just had to give him my ticket to the football game. Right. Luther found no consolation in the pardon that he was granted through the indulgence. Still feeling empty, he turned to a study of the Bible. While studying Psalm 22, he was taken by the idea that Jesus on the cross felt abandoned by God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me, Jesus had said. If Luther knew what any feeling was, it was the feeling of being forsaken by God. And suddenly he felt a close connection with Jesus. Suddenly he understood that Jesus, who knew no personal sin, had taken Luther's sin upon himself on the cross. In a very short number of days, Luther discovered that God wasn't that much feared judge, but rather God was a merciful Father who had sent Jesus to do for us that which we could not do for ourselves, atone for our sins. At last, Martin Luther found what he was looking for, the assurance that God had forgiven him and the assurance that he would be going to heaven one day. Studying Paul's letter to the Romans reaffirmed what Luther had come to believe. Now sure of his right standing before God because of faith and trust in God alone, Luther began to challenge the teaching of the church. And in so doing, he brought the light of the gospel into many lives darkened by fear and dread. 200 years later, a searching John Wesley would read a sermon by Martin Luther and feel his heart strangely warmed as the Protestant Reformation dawned upon John Wesley. The official church of Luther's day didn't like all of his reforms because people relieved of their fear through faith, were no longer able to be manipulated by the church. Well, you know, each one of us is a little bit like Martin Luther and John Wesley. A seminary professor of mine said that none of us were born Protestants. We come into the world like Nicodemus, assuming that salvation is up to us. God has given us the commandments. It's up to us to do them and to save ourselves. Then we discover that we're sinners, and that makes us feel lost and cut off from God. We hear about judgment and hell, and fear drives us to try even harder to become as religious as we can. But no matter how much we try, we never get to that place of assurance that God loves us and we're going to heaven. We make bargains with God when lightning-like evil strikes us. But those bargains often fall through, and they don't offer us much comfort. I'm sure you heard about the man who thought that his plane was going to crash. He prayed, God, if you will save me from this crash, I will give you half of everything I own. Well, the plane landed safely. And so a fellow passenger said, well, I guess now you'll be going by your church and giving half of what you have to the church. And the man replied, no, I'm not, because I made an even better deal with God. I told him if he ever gets me back on another plane, he can have everything that I have. That's the way our bargains with God often uh, work. We don't get very far with them. All of our efforts to be right leave us far short of the glory of God. In the end, we come to hopelessness like Luther did, quite certain that nothing we can do can ever merit God's forgiveness for us. Then, like Martin Luther, we experience the Protestant Reformation. We discover a God of mercy who really cares about us 
and we discover that Jesus really did die for us. We discover that God only requires one thing from us in order to grant us eternal life and pardon, and that is that we cease trusting in ourselves and instead believe that Christ's efforts were sufficient to save us. Call it being saved, call it being born again, call it being reformed or a Protestant, whatever it's called, it means that you finally found peace with God. So one aspect of Reformation Sunday is to offer reformation to everyone. You can be born again. You can receive God's do-over, his mulligan. You can have your brain reformatted and go on in peace with a new start with God. But there was another important gift of Luther to us. Everybody needs a source of authority for our lives, something we can count on to be objective, to give us guidance and truth. The Christians of Luther's day depended on human beings and institutions to be authorities over their lives, whether it was a king or a priest or the head of the church. Christians looked to them as the unquestioned spokespersons for God. Everything, even the Bible, was placed under the authority of these humans. Luther and the other Protestant reformers wanted to place the church and its leaders under the authority of Scripture, with Scripture being the last word on matters of faith. The church of Luther's day fought this reform too, because by making the scripture, the authority, Protestants were taking a move toward democracy, away from the totalitarianism of the church. Whenever you place scripture at the top of your authority, you place every person's right to interpret that scripture second. So there were political aspects of the Reformation. But how important it is for us to have authority for our lives an authority which will offer us God's wisdom on so many subjects and insights on other things that aren't specifically addressed in Scripture. It's important to remember that Jesus found help in Scripture when he was tempted during his 40 days in the wilderness and also when he was debating with people. In the same way, we can find a sure defense against temptation in Scripture Reading the Bible can sensitize us to God's attitudes and thoughts. In it, I can find the inspiration that I need to serve others instead of wanting to be served. I find constant reminders in the Bible of God's grace for me and others. I want you to remember this Reformation Day that every great renewal of the church has centered around the Bible being read by the people and believed. Think, too, where your life might be if you had not heeded its words of wisdom. Have you been reformed, and have you made the Bible the primary authority in your life? But there was finally one more emphasis of the Reformation, and that was the empowerment of the laity to be ministers to one another something that we've come to call the priesthood of believers. Laity Sunday is something we had last week. It wasn't just an exercise to give me a day off, although that was nice. It wasn't just to give you all a break to hear a good sermon for a change. It is a statement that lay people, like pastors, are called into ministry. Some of us undergo special training and and are put in a position of responsibility in the church, but you have other responsibilities in the church. God calls all of us to be pastors to one another. If I'm your pastor, who's going to be my pastor if it's not you? Who's going to come to me and offer me insight and guidance when I need it or when I might have to be in the hospital if it's not you? as I come for you. 
The Protestant Reformation said to the world, all of us are called, not just pastors, not just the clergy, but lay people are called to be in ministry as well. Dr. James Kennedy said that when we think that only preachers are called on to do the mission of the church and that others aren't, he said that makes just about as much sense as saying, let the generals fight the war, that there's no place for soldiers and privates. No, the task before us is so large that we all need to work together. There is a world that needs Christian influence. The priesthood of believers means we all have been called by Jesus to be in ministry to the world. To a world that seems constantly intent on destroying itself. How this world needs to hear from the followers of the Prince of Peace. Well, product slogans are always a, a fun thing to learn, like quality is job one, baked by elves, it's the real thing. The Protestant Reformation had its slogans as well. We are saved by faith alone. The Bible alone is our authority. And the priesthood of believers means we all our servants together. Have you been reformed? Amen.